Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not the same as personalized therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or to submit a poem for me to read on the podcast, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, to build our community, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Welcome home, co-journers. I'm glad you're here for another episode, and I am excited to greet you for the beginning of this new season and new year. I'm especially grateful for our guest on today, Sharon Jamison, who is a life strategist, DEI champion, minister, and author. She's also a corporate leader and works a lot with Black women who have experienced and or are experiencing soul-draining grief due to the unfair policies and practices in corporate settings. I am so glad that you are here. We have talked some about work stress and we have talked some about grief, but the intersection of the two, the impact that they have and the ways in which we can not only survive corporate settings, but thrive. I'm glad for you to coach us through that. And so welcome to Homecoming. Well, thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I follow your work and I'm grateful for your witness and your work and your wisdom that I have an opportunity to use in my own life and also with my clients. So I'm grateful for what I see God is doing in your life. Well, I am grateful as well. And it's one of those challenges where sometimes a job or a position can be a blessing uh, and a challenge or burden at the same time. And there are times when we know we're in the right place And it takes a lot out of us, or it can be that we're out of position and perhaps it's time to make a move. So I want to first think about how you define or describe corporate grief or workplace-caused grief. Sure, sure. I define corporate grief as the pervasive feelings of dread and sorrow and worthlessness That happens many times to all people, but especially women of color and Black women, when they are not able to self-actualize in corporate settings, where they are not able to use their gifts and their talents and their wisdom, when they feel as if they need to erase parts of their identity or abandon who they are. And the grief comes because even with all the sacrifices that people have to endure and all of the the challenges of bullying and bias and bigotry, there's a grief that I cannot self-actualize, that I cannot contribute, that irrespective of my education, irrespective of my performance, I will never be what I feel that I can be in this corporate setting. And what happens is that people stay in that sense of grief, that sense of longing, that sense of loss. 
and they can stay there for years without even addressing it because they have so normalized oppression that they don't do anything about it. And I started doing this work because first I'm a minister and people were coming to the altar and I would hear stories of sickness, sadness, and sabotage. And the thing was, this was being caused by my job. And I said, wait a minute, what's happening? What's happening? Because I know that success is spiritual. And that's when I started feeling and experiencing people stand in that grieving process, but they were lingering in, in that grieving process and not moving through it because they would go from job to job without processing it. Or they will say that this is just my lot in life because they were the breadwinners. And they felt like there was no way to create a different income generation option. And so a lot of people just kind of succumb to this pervasive grief that will linger in ways that will undermine their health and their wholeness. I'm so grateful for the description of it as a grief, because I think what it reminds us of is the vision we have had for our lives. We can have a vision, we have a dream, and you can think if you follow these rules, right? The dream will come true. So you work hard, you do the things that are asked of you. You've been a team player, depending on the position, you may have had to get special education or training and the belief in a just world, right? That if I do these things, if I follow the plan, then I am supposed to be promoted, or then I am supposed to have this particular position or opportunity, and then those things don't come or they come and you're having to grieve other aspects of your life, right? Things that you have given up or sacrificed for that. And so I want to invite our listeners in this moment to think about what are the losses that you have faced as it relates to your dreams? You know, what are the losses as it relates to your goals, even around trust? You know, perhaps a supervisor or a coworker that you thought had your back or was for you and then discovering that was not the case. You mentioned both kind of physical health and mental health. Can you talk about some of the signs or symptoms that people are in a place of corporate grief? Sure, sure. I find that the grief shows up or manifest as loss of sleep, worry, anxiety. Uh, people have told me that they have digestive issues, bladder issues. Uh, some women lose their hair. Some people lose their hair. I have here people have told me that they have developed like immune diseases, diabetes, endocrine diseases. And so the challenge is that they will have those issues for a while before they associate those physical manifestations with the grief. Uh, with the corporate grief. What's interesting, something that I see a lot is that people lose their confidence and they lose their hope. And we label it burnout, which it is burnout, but it's deeper than burnout because it's that soul crushing, soul crippling feelings of hopelessness that it affects a person's not only competence, but their capacity to believe in themselves again. And so that's why I think corporate grief is so 
paralyzing because not only do we see it when we don't accomplish our own goals, but we see it when we see what's happening to other Black women. For example, what happened at Harvard, what happened at to Dr. Bailey. So we have not only the personal corporate grief, but the vicarious corporate grief. And I see a lot of people just feeling like they want to give up, but they keep in the back of their mind, they keep overgiving, overperforming. They mm. keep taking on what I call unpaid labor, yes. unpaid, uh, compensated jobs to prove that invalidate or legitimize their brilliance. And that's when it becomes dangerous. I tell people that you cannot outperform racism or out educate yourself out of sexism or homophobia or ableism or whatever it is. But I feel that the the, the grief comes because people won't say, you know what, there I have options and I don't have to take it. But people forget that they don't have to take it. And that's why the grief lingers for for too long till it becomes um, debilitating. Mm. And for people who haven't heard the term before, when you say unpaid labor, you're not talking about volunteerism, like uh, describe what you mean. Yeah. When I think about unpaid labor, when people are taking on extra assignments, yes. for example, I'm going to be the leader of the ERG group. I'm going to be the, the DE&I leader. I'm going to uh, take stretch assignments, things that you don't get paid for, things that, that, that are invisible labor, things that you don't get affirmed for. And, um, and that's just in a corporate setting because right. we're always doing a lot of unpaid labor. In our right outside of work. Yes. Families. Because many times we are the pillars of our families and in our community. So we already are doing a lot of unpaid labor, but it hurts differently when you have to do unpaid labor in the corporate setting when other people are getting compensated for doing things that you're not doing, but, and you know that you're doing it to prove or defend or legitimize yourself. That's the rub. That's why it hurts differently. And um, and I think that is what's something we have to address as people who have been marginalized or are diminished in corporate settings. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, for us to take what I like to call sacred pause and to consider, am I in a work environment where I am devalued, where I am underutilized, underpaid, or exploited? And have I gotten into a trap where I am taking on more and more trying to prove my worthiness when I'm already enough? And when my work and labor is not being honored? And I appreciate you shining the light on the fact that many of us have adjusted to toxic environments and even assume, well, it's going to be this way everywhere. So I just have to deal with it. And so, you know, for us to take in when a loss of hope has allowed us to either stay too long, or if we're going to stay, not require a change in the standards, in the treatment, uh, in the places that we are. And so, Let's say we've gotten to this place of awareness and the person listening is like, yes, that is me. And that is the job I'm in. In your coaching, what would you advise once we have awareness or acknowledgement that that is the circumstance? 
Yeah, I like to use an acronym called grief just to help people remember what they can do. To me, the first G, the G stands for get grounded. How? Because what happens is grief starts to, to make us unstable and unsettled, especially when it's corporate grief, because it really challenges our sense of identity and sense of worthiness. So I feel like get grounded in, in your identity, get grounded in who you are. And that can be personal as well as communal. The R stands for start reclaiming, reclaiming parts of yourself that you gave away to survive, Re yeah. reclaim parts of yourself that you had to erase or assimilate to be in a corporate system, reconnect with those places and those pieces of you that get that made you feel empowered and made you feel proud. And then the I is to take inventory of your gifts and your talent, because sometimes we are only using uh, 15 or 20% of our creativity because that's what the situation would allow. And we are so exhausted trying to survive that we forget that we are treasure tests of possibility. And so I say, take inventory and then get into integrity because just because you, you have ability to do it, does it give you joy? Mm -hmm. Does it give you peace? So I would say do an inventory with integrity because there's a lot of things that we're good at, but we don't feel called to do. It, I feel like that's not my calling. And then the E is continue to explore options and explore how you want to be in the world. It's interesting. I think about myself in corporate America. I've been in corporate America almost 40 years. And how I was at 30 and 40 is very different as who I am at 60. And I tell people it's okay to climb up the ladder. It's okay to climb down the ladder. It's okay to get off the ladder. And, <laughs> and so I think that we have to explore who do I need to be if I'm going to stay in this system and this structure that has not been created for me to thrive. So we have to explore that. And, and maybe that means explore who we need to be to generate income outside of different organizational settings. And that can be academy, it can be medicine, it can be the church, it can be any type of organization. And then the F stands for how do I find fulfillment and freedom in this new reality, in this new identity? And again, grief is not something that happens linear because we always are unlearning, relearning, undoing, redoing. So I don't want people to think that it's a step I think that's something that we have to do as our hearts allow. And when I was going through that process, I needed help. I had a therapist and a coach ushering me because even though I had the knowledge and the wisdom, I still needed support. And that's one of the things that I feel as Black women, we deny ourselves support. And then when we want support, we somehow associate support with shame or support with weakness. And then for all the people who grew up in the church, like you and I have done, we have felt that prayer was enough. And I tell people, yes, you need some scripture, but you might need some medicine and some support. And I think, you know, medicine is just as holy <laughs> as a scripture. And so I think that we have to look at all of our tools because it's hard to move through grief and also, I would say not to put a timeline on you. Everybody's grief is unique because all of our experiences are unique. And so those that's kind of like the framework that I have used for myself because I've experienced corporate grief as well as how I provide support to other people. Oh, those are wonderful. I love the acronym. And when it comes to that inventory and integrity, I like to say telling ourselves the truth. Right. Because we get into that routine of I'm fine. I'm good. I'm blessed. When the truth is, along with being blessed, we may also be stressed and tired and frustrated and disappointed and even angry. 
Uh, so in that inventory, what is the truth you need to acknowledge to yourself about your current work environment? And then when you brought up the issue of options, you know, what are some pointers for people to consider as they're thinking about staying or going? Sure. I think if people are uh, considering to stay in corporate settings like I have, it's important to know you you need to investigate the the com company and find about out about the uh, the corporate culture because some cultures are so toxic it's not worth your health to even try to be a change agent or a pioneer in that culture. So if you want to stay, know that you might have to be a pioneer and a trailblazer and a visionary, and you can't stay in any type of cultural corporate setting without some allies or some alliances. You need some advocates to help usher you through the process so that you can not only learn the unspoken rules and the unspoken practices that you need to strive and survive. And so I think that we have to remember that you can't be in corporate status in isolation. You need help. You need support and it's okay. Other people get mentorship and sponsorship and development. And that's something we have to, to accept and embrace and know that that sponsorship and mentorship to stay in a corporate setting might not come from within your own corporation, that you might have to seek support outside so that you have this the the internal infrastructure, but also the strategy, because success to me is spiritual and strategic. And so we want to make sure that they have that. If they leave the corporation, something I want to name is to process that pain. I find many people leave corporate settings and jump into entrepreneurship without addressing that pain. And our private pain always shows up in public places. Always. Mm -hmm. So true. That's that pain. We have to address that sense of loss, a sense of hopelessness. We have to address some of that damage that was done to our self-esteem and our self-identity and our capacity and competence. Because if not, you will go into entrepreneurship and you will undermine yourself, underprice yourself and overwork yourself and create a different set of problems. And I think we have to understand that we have to fix the bleeding. I tell people you can't, it's hard to bleed and lead. And so we have to address that so that you don't go into a new address with a, a burden attitude. And so I think if you're gonna stay, stay with support. And if you're gonna leave, still get support or that you have the internal infrastructure, that you you have the grounding that you need. I always remember what my father used to tell me, to go up, you have to go down. And the down is how can I get rerouted Re-establish in my identity, in my spirituality, in my restorative practices, so I can bloom, and yes. we bloom in a variety of ways. Yes, I I love that description of taking time to heal. I think we often hear that and think about it as it relates to relationships and not wanting to recreate old patterns. But as you described, the same thing can happen in terms of our associations uh, or our beliefs as it relates to work. And so we can come in with that residue or with those wounds and then either recreate those old cycles or create new ones that are equally problematic. I remember talking to someone who described finally seeing her pattern. She would go into new jobs and volunteer for everything and take on everything and then get resentful and burned out and she wasn't being compensated for it. And then she'd leave and go to a new place and do the same thing again. And so she had to like fight herself to say, 
I'm not going to fill every gap I see. And yes, I'm coming in this place and I see gaps and that's not my job. So uh, that self-awareness uh, can be liberating. Yeah. And self-awareness, I have learned that the old people used to say, sometimes you see better through someone else's eyes. Mm -hmm. And I needed that because at some point, I think in my 30s, that I had been so disillusioned and felt so disrespected, I couldn't see my worth nor my worthiness, nor my competence anymore. And thank God for those old ladies at the church that said, listen, I'm going to see you for you because you can't see yourself right. I had to hold that sacred space mm -hmm. to remind me who I was, to remind me of my gifts and wisdom and talents, to remind me that I was worthy. And so I just want people to know that it's okay mm -hmm. to see yourself through someone else's eyes until you can see yourself outside of the residue outside of that wounding, because corporate America, corporate grief hits at our identity, our sense of proficiency and competency. And when we go into corporate America, we have already dealt with so many layers of oppression. I grew up and, you know, the only black person in school and the only black person in college and the only being the first or the few are the only. We already have that type of trauma that's inherent in oppression before we even get into corporate spaces. And so I want to name that there are so many layers and levels mm -hmm. that we have to address. And we have to address them forever because you don't even know what the pain is until you get triggered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like, yes. oh, um, that's still tender right there. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, Sharon, you're not you're not toxic. You're tender mm -hmm. because you haven't healed that. And so, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. So powerful. Now, tell us about your book. Well, I have a couple of books. My latest book is called "Deciding to Soar." uncovering, uh, wrapping your purpose. And I talk about my experiences in corporate settings because my corporate settings has been good for me to develop some skills, but it has also been very damaging to me because I had to re-understand who I was mm -hmm. outside of the corporate system. And, and I let the corporate system define me because that's growing up, you go to school, you get your education and you get that good corporate job and a company car. And I had all of that. And I was dying inside so much so that for nine years, I was in and out of the hospital with my heart and I didn't connect the two. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started saying, wait a minute, is something here? Yeah. And, and when I left that corporate setting, I had to learn that I was that my essence was different than my environment. And mm -hmm. I some help with that. But then I had to understand I needed some strategies to learn how to navigate that I didn't, I couldn't learn. I mean, I had teenage parents. I didn't learn that. And, and I think many people of color, Black women, if you're the first in corporate America, we don't know those unspoken rules. We don't yes. know unspoken ways of being. We are not used to how nepotism and cronyism show up. And so you need someone to teach you that. And, and those were the strategies I had to learn. But after a lot of it was already done. <laughs> Thank God. And that's where my spirituality came in, because sometimes that's all I had to lean on was that, wait a minute, I am made by a creator. So that means that I am creative. And I had to remember that. And that took a while to remember. Yes, yes. I love that. And I love you reaching back and sharing these jewels from your journey to help other people either avoid some mistakes or once they're already in the pit, figure out how to get themselves out of there. And then I want to ask, when we get into positions of power, 
what we can do to try to shift the environment. Because sometimes it becomes a hazing thing of like, this is how I was treated. And now that I got some power position, I'm going to like uh, keep that same system going. So say something about, you know, the need to for us to explore doing things differently. Yeah, I am so glad you mentioned that because I do feel that we have to be careful not to feel like I paid my dues and you have to do the same thing. I see a lot of that. Uh, a couple of things. One, I think it's important that as we go up the ladder, we're always a reaching back and providing the, t- the the tools and the mentorship that people didn't give us, the strategies, the wisdom. I think that's really important. Two, I think as a, a, a person of color and as a Black woman leader, we have to have continue to have support because not only do we have to work harder to get to that position, we are more scrutinized at that position. And sometimes I know I found myself just trying to survive that I didn't have time and energy to give to other people going behind me. It wasn't that I was mean, it was that I was struggling. <laughs> so I think we have to be yes, That's a good one, right? Sometimes we assume like characteristics that are really a person is exhausted or stretched thin or yes. yes. So we have to give other leaders grace because mm-hmm. if they're the only one. Many times you have many people pulling right. time and That's attention. True. And sometimes you're just treading water. Yeah. Um, I think that the third thing that we have to do is to find different uh sister circles and groups that provide the training, that they provide the the strategies and not the tr- strategies that you read in the book. They don't really work for black women and women of color. We need some sister girl training. Like this is how you deal with the situation. This is how you handle when a person steals your idea and you have to take your idea back in public, you know, in a way that still empowers you. This is how you take feedback. This is how you ask questions to make sure that people are are challenging or giving you feedback on your performance and not your identity or your character or or something that they're uncomfortable with because you are in a different type of body. Uh, So I think that it has to be ongoing. You can never stop learning Mm -hmm. when you're in those uh, situations. But as you grow, share with others and, and, and share based on your ability to trust. I want to say this. I find that many times if people have not done their own healing, that sometimes the people that you want to help, those are the ones that come back and hurt you and haunt you mm-hmm. because they have internalized their own racism and sexism and their own colorism. Mm-hmm. And so they become dangerous. So I want people to know that, yes, help people, but be wise and discerning. My grandmother used to say all skin folk and kin folk. And so we have to remember that some people have not addressed their own wounds. And they can keep uh, an unhealed or unaddressed wounds can hurt you because you're already in a vulnerable position when you're the only one uh, in a senior leadership position at your organization. So I just want to name that and give people permission to say, you know what, I I don't have capacity. Try to find capacity because as you are somebody open a door for you, I think there's an obligation to try to open the door for people who come behind us. Yes, that is uh, wonderful. and so important because often when we are underrepresented in leadership, there is great pull for our time and attention. And while you have that as you named responsibility to give back, it also has to be with discernment and with balance because that could be a full-time job, right? (laughs) It's like, so having clarity as you're navigating 
uh, those spaces and navigating those positions. So I know that people will want to uh, stay connected and get connected with you. Can you share about your website, where the books are available, uh, your social media? Oh, well, thank you so much for letting me share that. I really appreciate it. Everything is my name, Sharon Jamison. So website, social media, the books are on Amazon. Even the programs that I do, I, I do programs that are geared to leaders, leaders in faith settings, leaders in organizational settings, because the issues are the same. And so I would love for anybody who's in a leadership position, people who are pioneers, visionaries, people who dare to be different. Um, I would love to connect with them because I feel like collective wisdom always wins. And I know that I only have a piece of the puzzle and but somebody else has a piece of the puzzle because you have been a big piece of my puzzle. Yeah. And I'm grateful for the work that you do. And the work that you do is work that we use in all of my coaching containers. So I just celebrate you and I honor you for your for the work that you give to all of us so freely. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on today. And for those who are listening, whether you're uh, in work, exiting work, uh, retired from work, or reflecting on entrepreneurship and starting your own space, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. Mm -hmm.